Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Aspen Baker. She is the co-founder of an organization called Exhale. She is the author of a terrific new book called Pro Voice, How to Keep Listening When the World Wants a Fight. And you can find her at aspenbaker.com. Aspen, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks so much for having me, David. Uh, it's great to have you. Uh, start off with uh, where I'm coming from. Uh, there was a there was a Russian oligarch uh, who once approached Boris Yeltsin and said, "Let's set up two political parties that are basically the same, but we'll have one of them be pro-abortion and one of them be anti." Uh, which seems to me not that far off, and it didn't happen, but it seems to me not that far off from where the United States is. I mean, this is the first time I've had the topic of abortion on this radio show. I've avoided it as sort of a, a fraudulent way of making two political parties appear very different on a topic that the leaders of those parties don't really care about as much as they care about militarism and corporate trade and, and so forth. Have have you ever run into this before? Is this a problem with bringing up the whole topic of abortion, that people see it as uh, as fraudulent somehow? That's an interesting choice of words. I wouldn't say that I've heard fraudulent very much, but I certainly have heard uh, like there's no room for anything else to take place. That, um, you know, if we're going to talk about abortion, if we're going to bring it on the radio, that the only thing that can happen is that we're going to fight about it. Um, and so people usually either want that fight, and so that's why they have the conversation, or they want to get as far away from that fight as possible, and so they avoid talking about it. And so what I've been trying to do and what pro-voice people do is figure out how to have conversations um, that are something other than fighting. Yeah, I used to work for an online activist organization that was, you know, relatively courageous on certain topics, but had a had a ban on anyone ever mentioning abortion or Israel, uh, huh. be- because it was just assumed that it would degenerate into yeah. attacks and fighting, uh, and wouldn't produce anything uh, anything useful on that website. Uh, th- this, uh, I. I-, I- it seems to me what I took out of your your book, which is a wonderful account of the need to, in part, a wonderful account of the need to tell stories about abortion and hear people's voices, was that we we really are missing that. And the reason we're calling each other names and putting forth these sort of cartoonish caricatures of the other's positions is that we don't actually have any information. We don't have detailed, actual, personal stories of abortion. Is that is that accurate? I'm so glad that's what you got out of the book, and that's certainly what I hope that other readers get out of it, too, that um, for all the fighting that we've had, we've, we've had legal abortion in this country since 1973, and um, one in three women in America will have an abortion in their lifetime. And most of us, I'm one of those people, I had an abortion when I was 24, which led me to co-found my organization and create Pro-Voice. Um, but, and we're a part of families, and we're a part of communities, and we're in relationships, but our voices and experiences and stories are pretty absent from public discussion. Most of the time, it's changing a little bit. A lot of that is good, and some of it could just end up in the same, that our stories 
could potentially be the things that we just keep fighting about. And, and Pro Voice is working to create a space so that that doesn't happen, so that we can sit in the gray areas and in the, the contradictions and complexities of abortion and see that actually as a, as a strength and a place of wisdom and insight that can help us find our way out of the conflict. And what are some of those complexities and contradictions? What are maybe a, a two or three of the, the stories that we're missing in, in brief? So just to give a little bit of um, context, the, the organization I started, Exhale, after I had my abortion, has been running a talk line for women and men to call to talk about their experiences. It's a national line. It's multilingual. It's operate seven days a week, and we've been running it for 13 years. So we've listened to thousands of women and men talk about going through an abortion or abortions. And we hear from, you know, people who identify as pro-life and people who identify as Christian who feel like, you know, the abortion was the best decision of their life. And we hear from women who have been longtime pro-choice feminist activists who are shocked and surprised that they feel so emotional and so sad about their abortion. We hear from men who want to be the best supportive partner that they can to the person in their life who's had an abortion, and they're not quite sure exactly how to do that, how to have the conversation or understand what's normal or what's not normal when women have abortions. We hear from moms. We hear from sisters. um, We hear from people sometimes who actually work in abortion clinics who need a place to talk about their experiences. Um, There's just so many variations, and I think the biggest lesson is that experiences exist on a spectrum rather than sort of in one camp or the other. And, and it's that spectrum that is part of what makes us all human, um, that we might have had this shared experience, we might have gone through this same thing of having an abortion, but our own background in terms of our values and beliefs, our culture, you know, our race, our ethnicity, our age, all of these things can influence um, what this abortion means or doesn't mean in our life. And, and when people call your helpline at, at, at Exhale, you talk back to them in a manner that's neither pro-life nor pro-choice, or, or is a little bit of both? <laughs> both and neither, probably all those things. Yeah, when we started Exhale initially, we thought that the labels were a barrier to having conversation, and we wanted to be available for everybody, um, not just pro-choice and not just pro-life, but both pro-life and pro-choice people. So there's a few techniques that we use on our talk line that anyone can use in their everyday life. And the first is that when someone is talking about their own personal experience of abortion, to remember that it's a a human being that's standing before you or on the phone with you or texting you. It's um, it's not a a politician. And so when we're talking to a human being who's, who's sharing about an abortion experience, then we need to find out how they're doing. And so we should ask opening questions. How are you? What was that like for you? What do you, what do you hope for now? What, have you, what do you want to do next? Um, give them the chance to speak for themselves. Um, another thing that we do on our talk line that anyone can do is reflect the language of the person talking. And so if someone is talking about their own experience and they use the word baby, it's totally okay to say the word baby. 
if someone uses the word fetus, it's totally okay to use the word fetus. That when we reflect the language of the person who we're listening to, we're conveying that we're paying attention and we're conveying that we're interested in understanding what they're going through. And so in our heads, we might worry that certain, you know, language choice or labels is going to have some, you know, political consequence that makes us nervous. But um, we need to be able to have this, you know, intimate personal conversation first. We are speaking with Aspen Baker, who's the co-founder of Exhale and the author of Pro Voice, How to Keep Listening When the World Wants a Fight. Uh, another uh, exercise you did had to do with sending people greeting cards. Can you hmm. give a brief account of that? You know, like I said, we have men that call our line, and, and not just men, but people that we call significant others, uh, you know, mom, sisters, friends, boyfriends, husbands, sort of all the people that are in the life of someone who's had an abortion. And often they would call our line because they were trying to find the right words to say to someone in their life who's had an abortion. And if you... The only thing that we have had is the political conversation, and that doesn't always help when we're having these one-on-one conversations. So we wanted to figure out a, a cultural way to help people find the right words so that, you know, it, even if, you know, let's say the, the friend is opposed to abortion, politically, that friend can still be a source of, of support and care and love to, to someone in their life who's had an abortion. So. We developed e-cards, I think it was in 2007, to help people kind of find the right words and and let them know that this is something that we get to talk about with one another. Uh, The e-cards caused quite a bit of controversy when they were launched. Uh, Rush Limbaugh attacked me and Exhale and, you know, sent a bunch of his listeners to, to us to to tell us that we were awful human beings for, for developing these e-cards. Um, and we, we realized in that moment, you know, it was a really good lesson for me about how the conflict works. You know, the attacks come fast and come quickly, and they're often very knee-jerk. And so after we launched our e-cards and Rush Limbaugh attacked us, you know, we felt defensive. I felt defensive. I wanted to, like, prove that, you know, we were doing this, this, this caring, loving, noble thing, and, and there was a, a desire to want to fight back and push back. But we realized that we had an opportunity to have a different kind of behavior in the midst of feeling attacked. And so as a, as a team at Exhale, we decided that even though we were getting all this hate mail, that we were going to treat everyone with love and empathy and non-judgment the same way that we hope the rest of the world would treat women who'd had abortions. Um, and so when we went through that, uh, you know, in our own um, exercise as a team, I was able to go out and do a lot of radio and do a lot of TV and press and, and talk about these e-cards, but to do it with that love in my heart, and it allowed me to have some very unique conversations with people on all sides. And and you say that was in 2007, and this book has just come out recently, Uh, and and in the book you talk about how the debate has maybe improved somewhat over the years, Uh, that the ways in which uh, people on the right and maybe even on the left are talking about abortion uh, have gotten a little better. Is that is that true, and uh, and what role have you played in that? It's definitely true. There are, you know, when we started Exhale, the experience of people who'd had abortions was 
was pretty absent. Like, even that term, like women who've had abortions, didn't even really sort of exist. It wasn't a, a seen or visible constituency. And so uh, by starting our talk line and uh, by doing our work and, and, and having conversations with people on all sides, we've seen some pretty significant changes. Um, one is on the pro-life side. And, and when I say that there are significant changes, it doesn't mean everything across the board is, is perfect, but part of being pro-voice is seeing, um, seeing when something changes and seeing when something changes for the better and, and lifting that up so that it doesn't uh, get hidden behind the fight again. Um, so one of the changes that we've seen on the pro-life side is that um, there is sort of less labeling of women who've had abortions and more understanding and acceptance that there's no one-size-fits-all model. So there's been a long history on the pro-life side of, of women who've had abortions who've started post-abortion support services specifically aimed at um, women who feel traumatized around their abortions. And a lot of the support services have been very religious-based um, and, and using a lot of uh, judgmental labels. Um, there has been some evolution around that. So, so there are now websites that talk about the fact that there's no one-size-fits-all model, that building networks of support is really key. And I think the most important piece is that healing is possible for anyone who's had an abortion, that that is a, that is a message that is coming through strongly um, on the pro-life side. And I think that's a, a hugely valuable message to be heard. On the pro-choice side, there's been a couple of changes. One is that there's been a growth of new emotional support services. So there are new talk lines that have started. There are things called an abortion doula that are in some clinics nationwide. So a doula will sit with a woman as she's going through her abortion experience. Um, and clinics themselves, including places like Planned Parenthood, have improved through you know training and support and resources of staff. So the way that they talk with patients about their emotions. And, and was so there, we've seen dramatic changes around that. Uh, which is great. Uh, was there resistance to that from the pro-choice side because such assistance was seen as somehow being pro-life? Uh, yes, in some places that is definitely true. And I, I think one thing that's important that I, that I try to do, maybe not always successfully, but, you know, is it's easy to fall into this, you know, all pro-choice people are the same and all pro-life people are the same, and there's also great diversity among these sides, and, and it's helpful to talk about all sides. So it's something that I, I, I try to do. Um, and certainly within the pro-choice movement and within the network of abortion clinics across the country, there were standouts of, and, and you know, gold, gold standards of counseling of clinics and staff that felt really comfortable talking about emotions and had a long history. But that was not an across-the-board experience. And some of the resistance that we heard was, you know, if you're talking about emotions, then you must be a pro-life person. Um, if you're acknowledging things like regret or sadness, that that's going to hurt abortion rights in some way. So let's keep that down. Um, and certainly I think, you know, I, I, I get it. There, there was real concern that if somebody is having emotions about their abortion, that it's, they're saying that something is, is fundamentally wrong with abortion or, the, or that the care that a woman received in a clinic. Um, and, you know, I understand where that concern is coming from. But in this day and age, you know, we have emotions about walking down the street. You know, we have 
um, emotions are a big part of, of our well-being and our lives, and, and there is a greater understanding that being able to identify our emotions, um, cope with them, uh, build networks of support, be resilient and adaptable, that this is a part of how we all talk about our lives now. And so we get to talk about abortion like that, too. In the book, if I'm not mistaken, you suggest that, in fact, we are, most of us in the United States, both pro-life in some way and pro-choice in some way, uh, and, I, and I found a lot of truth in that. Maybe you can elaborate on it, but I, I, thinking that from the point of view of someone coming newly to this pro-voice idea who's pro-choice, the, the response might be, look, this is a question of law. Never mind being nice to people, never mind uh, understanding different points of view. Uh, you can uh, you can treat people how you like, but we can't ban abortion legally. Where does this come out legally? How does this affect legislation and uh, and legal rights? Um, how do you how do you respond to someone like that? That is definitely a, a concern and and a, and a fear and a and a position and and. It is politics is important, and the legal landscape is important. And um, I don't suggest that that will go away altogether. Part of the problem, though, is that the only way we talk about abortion in this country is through our political fights about it. And so, what pro voice does is create other ways for us to talk about abortion. Because if we can't talk to one another about the abortions that we have, and then the only time we talk about abortion is when we're fighting over something that's happening in the political sphere, that's a really bad way to have a, to have a, a thoughtful, meaningful, transformative conversation. I mean, our political sphere is not known for its ability to grasp nuance and gray areas and build bridges. Um, so we need to do that as people and as citizens in our democracy and, and in our culture. And if we develop our own individual and family and community skill sets around talking about hard things like abortion, then um, we are going to be less accepting when they pull in the political sphere when they try to make it a black and white issue. We'll be like, uh, we know that it's not a black and white issue. We've already been talking about that. So we can change the expectations of what's happening politically. One of the things that you did, uh, Aspen Baker, in the book that you recount is consult on the production of a MTV television show uh, that told the stories, re true real-life stories of some women who had had abortions. And there was a, a, a review that you cited by a Fox News commentator uh, that remarked with, I think, some degree of surprise that this that the decision by one of the women was not made cavalierly, that, you know, they had been thinking in terms of this cartoonish caricature of who has an abortion based purely on political slogans, and then they saw an actual story and said, oh, well, you know, it was actually a very serious decision. Um, it, it, can you describe how that whole, uh, how that whole enterprise of, of producing that program came about and, and what came out of it? Of course. I, I think an important point that you um, just showed that is when abortion is depicted, you know, in entertainment or talked about with emotional honesty, um, abortion is less controversial. So MTV had been doing a show called 16 and Pregnant um, for many years, 
and one of the cast members on that show, Markay Durham, um, let the producers know that she was pregnant again and was probably going to have an abortion. And so the producers um, were invited to film her and her family as they were going through um, the decision-making process and the abortion and talking about it afterwards. And they wanted to bring this to their audience because people who watch MTV are having abortions. And that is an important conversation to to help the audience um, talk about. And so when MTV decided to do it, they also didn't want to just show Marquet all by herself. They wanted to make sure that there was other stories and other voices represented. And so they brought in um, two other women, a woman named Katie Stack and a woman named Natalia Cospallejo. And at that time, my organization did not know any of those women, but we were working behind the scenes with MTV because we wanted to make sure that the women were being supported on the show as they were telling their stories and that the way that the show was being written and edited conveyed support and respect for their experiences so that the entire audience that was watching it who'd had abortions could have the chance to feel, you know, connected to these women. At the same time, my organization started working behind the scenes uh, with our own community because we know that as soon as a story sort of hits, you know, mainstream media, that it's just like, boom, it's another thing that we can fight about. You know, are these girls going to become political punching bags? They should have been on the show. They shouldn't have been on the show. Like, we just knew where where this could go in the public discussion, and we wanted to reframe it. We wanted to say, how can we provide support and respect to women in our lives who've had abortions, and and how do we do that with these women that went on this show? And so we launched a campaign called 16 and loved, where we invited people to send messages of love and support to all all three women. Um, and by the time the show aired and the press coverage that it received, that we were successfully able to do that, that all of the coverage on the show, which was no easy decision, also featured our campaign 16 and Loved and, and all of these messages of support, which included women also sharing their own stories. And I think that was one of the surprising things um, that we hadn't necessarily planned for. We weren't inviting storytelling, but when you set up a safe space like we did when we said we're going to moderate comments, we're not going to allow any hate in, and we're not going to allow any political debate in, that this is a site just purely of love and support, that that is a place that women felt comfortable in sharing. And so we ended up getting a lot of stories as well. And I think that that final point about um, uh, the commentary that happened on Bill O'Reilly's show was, you know, they kind of came out with guns blazing, like this show has to be the worst thing ever, you know, and, and these girls have to be the worst things ever. And, and the cultural commentators who actually watched it were moved um, and felt like it was a, a human depiction of, of real people going through a real challenge. So um, they came out on the other side going, oh, well, maybe this show wasn't such a bad idea after all. It, it seems from the book that you thought that MTV actually did listen to you and your colleagues at Exhale and uh, and revised the show accordingly, uh, and and you were pleased with it. I, I I think it was on the website of Exhale that I also found uh, unrelated to that show places where women, mostly women, are are posting their 
their stories, uh, which seemed to be a very good place if someone says, well, where can I find stories, uh, accounts of real-world uh, depictions of, of people having abortion? Is that where you would recommend they go, to the Exhale website? ExhaleProVoice.org is our website, and there is a Share Your Story page where you can read stories and see other stories. And we also have a guide there if you're thinking about sharing your story in a more public way about how to go about that. Um, and then, of course, if you need to share your story in a, in a private and personal way, um, our talk line is also available. All that information is there on exhaleprovoice.org. And, and what else is Exhale working on uh, now other than uh, promoting your wonderful book? Uh, <laughs> what, what projects are in the works and what, if anything, can, can people help with, whether they have any personal uh, connection to abortion or not? That's, thank you so much for asking. Um, on both exhaleprovoice.org and on my website, aspenbaker.com, um, if you want to get involved, there's lots of ways to do that. You can take a listening quiz. You can sign the ProVoice pledge, and you can check out these guides on how to be a good listener and how to be a good storyteller. Um, and the new project that I'm excited to tell you about is that we are developing a ProVoice fellowship which is modeled after a successful project that we did a couple of years ago. So the Pro Voice Fellowship is for women who have had abortions who want to be um, public Pro Voice leaders. It's a year-long fellowship. It will involve a, a story-sharing tour um, where we will support women as they travel to different parts of the country and use their stories as a way to have Pro Voice conversations with people from all kinds of backgrounds and walks of life. So we will be recruiting new people for that Pro Voice Fellowship in the next few months. So if you sign up for our, our, our email listserv, you can be notified when we're ready to um, start a recruitment. So, so it should be someone in the United States but willing to travel, uh, but they will be compensated for their trouble. And, and I'm sure uh, relentlessly... Uh, uh, questioned as to the details uh, and, and must be willing to, uh, to talk about it. Um, re are you relentlessly questioned about the details of their abortion? Well, relentlessly sounds a little aggressive, but I, 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 I mean that you are no doubt planning to, uh, to investigate whether someone who, who's going to speak for your organization uh, is telling the truth and what their story is. Interesting that you asked that. You know, I, I think that there is a there's all there's always a big concern that sort of people aren't being truthful around abortion, um, and people have been concerned about that. Like, uh, how do you know who your volunteers are that are taking call? That there's kind of like a, this very big concern um, about deception around abortion. So, uh, I don't have that big of a concern, frankly, about that. Uh, and we do pretty rigorous um, interviewing process. So, yes, so if someone just applies, you know, our expectation is that far more people will apply. Hard to believe, I know. But more people will apply into our fellowship than we can actively support. So there will be an active, you know, interview process. And mostly when we're interviewing people, we're, we're finding out if it's the right match. You know, is what they want to do with the year of their life, is that consistent with the goals of the program? And, um, and we 
will, I have no doubt, find, you know, half a dozen people that it's going to be a great match for. That's very encouraging to hear, and it's wonderful work that you're doing, and I'm very glad that uh, somebody sent me this book because I wouldn't have picked it up on my own. I encourage everybody to go and get a copy. It's called Pro Voice, How to Keep Listening When the World Wants a Fight, with some lessons that I dare say could be applied to completely other topic areas uh, as well. Uh, The website is aspenbaker.com. Aspen Baker, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.